Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's Brandon Laws, your host. Thanks for the download today. You are in for a treat. This is probably one of my favorite episodes I've ever done. It's real, it's raw, it's honest, it's passionate, and you're going to love this episode, I think. I know I did, and I've listened to it several times now. Chance Stewart is our guest today. He's a leadership consultant out of the Portland, Oregon area, so he's local to me. And this is a podcast all about servant leadership and leading with love and compassion. You're going to get a lot out of this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be, it's very different than a lot of our other episodes. Chance was open and just absolutely raw. I loved what he said and um, he's just really passionate about what he's talking about. Going to warn you real quick, there there is some explicit language in this podcast. So if you're with kids, I want to warn you. I know our typical podcast episode does not have many swear words, if any. Uh, so just uh, be careful about that. And I hope you enjoy. I'd love to, to hear what you think about this podcast. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, any of those places. Enjoy the episode and happy holidays. <music> Chance, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's so good to have you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. We're going to talk about leading with love, which is something I haven't really talked about on the show before. We talk about leadership and servant leadership a little bit, and it's embedded in a lot of the discussions. But in this conversation that we're about to have, you and I connected before, and we talked about this whole idea of leading with love, and I was just so moved by that. I wanted to first ask you, what kind of leader has inspired you in the past to think this way? Oh, that is a dirty question to start with. I appreciate it. Um, so in my personal life, I've really struggled to find leadership, mentors, or even people that I can really look up to. When I think about someone, though, um, I think about my grandfather. He came for some you know, crazy stuff, iron worker, definitely not politically correct. But when you get down to the bare bones of who he is and what he loves, yeah. it's people. And he's like, if we're not taking care of people, then the rest of the crap don't matter. Uh, professional life, I've learned from people what not to do. And that's right. a viable thing to do. Uh, I've, I've only had one supervisor that I've really dug, and that's probably my current dean. I love the dude. I would go work for him any day, but everybody else, I'm like, wow, that's definitely not who I want to be. Well, it's interesting because I think, you know, I've, I've read a lot of biographies. I'm fascinated by them. Like one of, you know, Steve Jobs gets quoted a lot and there's so many great things he's, he's done, but he's not the leader that we're talking about with, with leading with love. He's, he's, he's an asshole in a lot of cases. And it's weird because we glorify those types of leaders because they've accomplished so much. But I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of like when you want to move people and help them grow, what kind of leader is going to make the biggest impact? So I want to stop us right there. And I want to be really specific about what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You hit a really sore spot for me because I don't like Steve Jobs mm. and he is not a leader. 
Right. Okay. He brandished power and authority. Yeah. Authoritarian type of leading. Yeah. And see, even that when we say authoritarian and I teach authoritarian leadership as part of that history. Yeah. But that's, we're still missing the point. Mm. The second you have to say, how do I get people to do what I want them to do? Right. Rather than how do I get them to follow me or how do I help them do this? Yeah. You've already missed the point. So it was, as we're using Steve Jobs or a bunch of the other people out there in this world, what we really have to be careful of is who are they working for? Yeah. Are they working for the shareholders? Are they working for the community, their employees? You can work for everyone and be a leader. But when you start picking who you're working for, you're probably not going to be effective. Because if you're only working for your employees, your community, your shareholders, other people are going to suffer. If you're only doing it for the shareholders, 100% your employees are going to suffer. So you really have to be specific about who you are and how you want to be, because this whole conversation of leadership even begins with the I. Right. It can't begin with the them or the they or even the us. We can get to us, but it has to start with who I am and how I want to be in this world and in this universe. No, that's an interesting distinction because I think when we we look at leadership and I mean, even at the grassroots, you know, management, I mean, it's a management of people. It's trying to get them to move in a certain direction. I think when we look at and I use the Steve Jobs example because in business books all the time, they're he's glorified and people like him are glorified. And it's to get because he's in a weird way, he's able to move people to get what he wants. And so I I wanted to ask you just about what is the purpose of leadership? Is it something self-driven? Is it to get people to move in a certain direction to reach a goal? Like what is it when you look at holistically what it is to to lead? What is it? So after how many podcasts you've done, so many, you know that leadership looks like something different to every single person. Right. And that's why I asked the question. It's it's not the same answer. Well, yeah, that's the worst thing. Uh, getting a bunch of leadership students, professors, scholars in the same room, that is the scariest place to be because we're going to argue until everyone is dead and gone. So when we talk about leadership, sometimes we're not talking about what leadership always means to just me. Mm-hmm. It's what we want this to be. For me, I think it has to begin with the individual because if you're not good with yourself and ready to be in that position of leadership, that's a gift from somebody else. You don't get leadership. I hate the word, I'm in position of leadership. No, you're not. (laughs) You're in a position of authority, a position of power. You get paid more to make decisions. Right. That's fine. That's not nothing against anyone. But leadership is a gift somebody else gives you. That's somebody else saying, I believe in Brandon enough. I'm following him on this. One. Yeah. I believe in you enough. I wanted to come on your podcast and talked with you. We've had some good chats before. I want to keep that going. So when I think about leadership, it really does start with who we are. Um, in the seventies, when Robert Greenleaf started doing his essays, one of the first things he said is it is a individual decision to be a leader. It is a higher calling. So there's some of us that are natural servant leaders But it's like Michael Jordan. You know, if he didn't decide to practice every single day and do what he wanted to do to get where he wanted to be, he wouldn't have made it there. Just as it works in sports, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Leadership is the same thing. That is, you know, sitting down and taking some time to journal or read a new article or, you know, I find a lot of my leadership inspiration in uh, music. 
those old punk rock bands and metal bands I listened to in the early 2000s that were all about vampires and all that cool stuff. (laughs) Now they're singing revolt songs. One of my favorites is Atreyu. They have a song uh, that the first lyrics are, do you know who you are? Are you a part of the solution or the one at fault? And I was like, oh, my favorite band in the world is saying my favorite things. Thank you. It, it can be, it has to start with you, but you also have to know what other people need from you. Uh, so if you want to be a leadership, what do people need? Some people just need to be told what they need to get done and they can go. Other people need someone there to be with them, either for emotional, mental, spiritual support. That's why it's hard. The thing about leadership is it's hard to explain, but when you're in the midst of good leadership, everyone in the room can see it and feel it. Yeah, it's interesting that you're just talking about the position of authority versus coming from within because, you know, years ago uh, at Zenium, I run a, a book club and have since like 2012. And we've read a lot of interesting books. And one that always sticks out to me is The Leader Who Had No Title. I think that was the title of the book. But it was like basically about this. This is a it's a fable. It's, it's a business book written in a fable format. But it's about this this guy who who's not in a position of leadership. Oh, do you have it? Are you going to pull it out? Yeah, I'm reaching for my bookshelf. <laughs> but it's basically about this this guy who's not in a position of leadership, but the way he behaves is like a leader. And he's able to move people in a certain way and make them feel important. And they follow him because he the way he behaves. And I, I like to think about leadership in that way, about behavior. It's about the things that we do and the way we make people feel and the way we help them grow and give them what they need. I think that's leadership in my mind. What do you, what do you think about that? I agree with that wholeheartedly. I've started being really on this kick of, you know, those big gestures don't mean shit. It's the little things that matter. Mm-hmm. So as we were talking about the protest in America for Black Lives Matter, for equality, equity, inclusion, um, all of those companies and organizations that say Black Lives Matter to us and then never said anything again, they proved something to us. Yep. But those organizations that started doing work and started trying to pull more uh, people onto their board, onto their staff, Uh, Another way to look at this is when COVID hit, there's a lot of organizations that say we'll help do the fight. Rogue Fitness shut down their production and they designed whole new masks, head uh, shields, all sorts of stuff. So they can set it up where they were supporting frontline workers, be this police, fire, uh, medical. That's when I was I said to myself, okay, 100 percent Rogue is my fitness company. I'll buy their weights their racks whatever they're my people (laughs) because that's another way that we have leadership on a small level we get to vote Uh, in our business world it is how we vote with our dollars so we can choose to support amazon or we could choose to support our small bookstore i do a little bit of both you can't do one or the other sometimes but if i can get it at my bookstore even if it costs me 20 bucks more Those are my people. Uh, And one of those things that you were talking about is it's not always about having a title as leadership. Do you know where servant leadership kind of sprang from Mm, at all? No, I don't. Um, Herman Hesse. I think I always mispronounce his name. The Journey to the East. It is a fable. Some people think it's actually something that Herman went through himself. It's about this group that keeps on traveling, trying to find... uh, the promised land or the Ark of the Covenant, nobody really knows what they're looking for. And they have these people that kind of take on leadership roles and it flows and it moves. 
but then they lose somebody, somebody that was just there washing clothes, maybe, you know, singing, telling stories, keeping people together. When they lost that person that they didn't think they needed, the whole thing fell apart. Unreal. And I won't tell you the ending because it's a little bit of a shift there, but I wonder who could have been the leader of that whole organization by the end of that book. Somebody who wasn't an authority. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Rarely do we have that. I mean, we have presidents, we have CEOs, we have directors, but those people that are really touching lives and changing people in organization, especially when we look, you know, my past 10 years has been higher education. It's usually not your president or your VP or your director. So I've read a lot of like Seth Godin's books. He's a marketing guru, but he wrote this book called Lynchpin. And that's how I think about that. It's like that, that linchpin that keeps everything in the organization together. And a lot of times it is that leader who doesn't have a position of authority. In my mind, it's that indispensable person that if they do leave, <laughs> your, your organization's not the same anymore. And that is okay sometimes. It is okay for that to shift, but then who is going to take that up? It's difficult. Those people who we're really talking about most of the time wouldn't consider themselves leaders. That's not what they're there for. They're there for people to spread good feelings and happiness and family and love. So when we start to feel that a little bit, we can we understand that. There's still someone that I haven't worked with for, goodness, three or four years now. And that's still my sister. 100%. I was in a terrible position there. It was ridiculous. But I send a picture of my kids when they have their birthdays. You know, when they're talking about Dolly Parton, because my kids are absolutely fascinated with Dolly Parton. I'm like, yo, check this out. And it is important to remember that we don't need position authority. That's not what leadership is about. Again, it's something that's easier to feel than it is to see and put into words and context. So my question is to everybody, how are you making people feel around you? I love that question. Um, do you think that's that's the, the question that drives servant leadership? I, I'm actually curious. You can be in a position of authority and also be a servant leader. Mm-hmm. But I think when people get into positions of power, they're obviously trying to move people and they just don't, they don't lead that way. So if they could make a shift, what, what is the driver ultimately? What, what needs to happen from within to be that kind of a leader, make a shift? One of the foundational questions that we keep on seeing in servant leadership and what we should be seeing in leadership as, as in general is always uh, how do people become better because you're there? How are they reaching new heights? Maybe not the heights you want them to, but are they better because of your influence being in your sphere? Robert Greenleaf put it as how do people grow underneath you? So if you're doing a a job and those people around you aren't being better because of you, then what, what are you doing? You could be there clocking in, clocking out, making your money, having your uh, insurance. And that's good. That's cool. That's fine. I'm for that. That is a reasonable, real position in this world. But if you want to do more, then you have to ask, how am I making people better? And a lot of the time, that's by disagreeing with them or by challenging them and saying, hey, why do we do it this way? Or, you know, why would we do it this way? That's the whole thing about servant leadership. Most people say, oh, why would I want to be a servant when I can just be a leader? That sounds so soft. (laughs) I've been a manager at GameStops, at skate shops, and said, hey, I appreciate the work you do, but everyone else is suffering at this organization. So while I appreciate what you do, I have to protect everyone else 
this isn't the right spot. But I know these three places are hiring. If you want to work on your resume, let me know. That's what makes the difference between a, hey, this isn't a good fit or, hey, you're an a-hole. See you later. Right. You're actually helping them make their lives better, even if they're going out the door. Especially if you know someone's miserable. If you have the ability to affect someone's life in that way, you're a manager and you see someone's not happy. Is this the right place for you? That's a hard conversation, but it's a valuable one. It's interesting that that example, because I think when when you see when you actually step back and look at the impact you can make, even helping somebody leave on good terms and help them uh, get a better fit, how connected everything is. I mean, our economy is global. And when you start to look at the behaviors of individual leaders and all these little micro decisions and the way we treat people, like everything's so connected. Because the way you treated that person, he or she will inevitably probably treat somebody else the same way or take bits and pieces of how you how you made them feel. And it's embedded in the way they might lead later on in life. I watched the movie Pay It Forward really young. Love that movie. Yeah. That movie messed me up. I can't watch it to this day. Why? Number one, I'm a little bit sketch on Kevin Spacey. Number two, oh, well, obviously, with the, <laughs> the last couple of years. So, yeah. But at the same time, like I'm struggling with those are real emotions. That's the real life. What we're living for, you know, in America, we talk about the individual, the individual, the individual. That's not how this whole situation was brought together. That's not how people are meant to be. We are not individuals, whether we want to believe so or not. It makes the health crisis even harder because we are isolated and acting as individuals right now. <laughs> we don't have to. We don't have to, no. There are ways. Zoom is amazing. And I know a lot of people are done with Zoom, but that's because whoever's running those rooms isn't thinking about you. They're thinking about what they need to get done really fast. I meet with a group of people that is awesome international. Uh, You know, I have buddies in the UK because of this group. Every Friday morning, you know, we meet for an hour. And sometimes all we do is talk for an hour is, how are you doing today? Uh, Last week, we were talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and how do we make sure that we are tackling our unconscious bias in terms of women of color? We get deep, we go shallow, but everything always becomes deep. So, Back to it, though, we are not individuals. America likes to think we are. We are part of a global society, a global economy. Right. That will never change. It has never changed. We just like to think, I'm cool. I'm special. <laughs> you are special. You are cool. I appreciate you. You're my bro. Well, thank you. I think I am pretty cool, but no. <laughs> but we have to think of this in terms of everybody. I have worked with a couple Native American or uh, American Indian tribes, and they don't talk about what are we doing today. They talk about how is our kids and grandkids going to be good in 50, 40, 60 years, but also what is the world going to look like? Their resource management on tribal lands is not about what we need today, but what are our grandkids going to need? So that kind of global thinking is about what this is, too. I believe that we are all connected by something you can call it collective unconscious, God, whatever it is. When one of us is in pain, we all feel it. We are all in a little bit of pain right now, so we are all feeling that. But at the same time, when we do those good things for others, we feel that too. There are such things as altruistic. There's not really altruism. 
because everything we do, we also, for others, we do for ourselves. So even if you're giving a couple dollars to somebody on the side of the road, say, hey, go get a sandwich, makes us feel good. And that's okay. We've kind of been told that that's not okay. If you're not doing something purely for someone else, that's BS. It's, it's hard to not have an, um, have an emotional feeling behind something like that. I mean, you're going to give a couple bucks or you're going to go spend time volunteering at a soup kitchen for Thanksgiving and and not feel something like that. I mean, that's just unrealistic in my mind. So yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I used to drive forever and I wasn't able to connect with my community. I can't wait for this pandemic to be over so that I can start going out and doing something for like Habitat for Humanity or the YMCA you know, actually give something to someone else. Yeah. I will get good, happy feelings for that. And that's okay. Yeah. One of the things that I've always appreciated is um, leaders who do the little things when nobody's watching mm. and they don't need to be glory. Like we, you just mentioned um, how a lot of corporations are coming out and saying, look, we're going to do like black lives matter. We're going to do all this stuff. And then this never do it. It's a PR thing, but they're, like then there's organizations that are just doing it behind the scenes. Nobody's watching. They're not getting the PR play out of it. They're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. And even at the micro level, good leaders will behave in the way of a servant leader or a leader who leads with love. And they'll do those things behind the scenes without any accolades. So what, What's your feeling on that? Uh, I have really come to a realization in probably the past two years that, you know, those big things are good, but it's the little things that are the only thing that really matter. Yeah. Um, and when I talk about leadership, I'm not talking about, you know, who you are in your community or in your organization. I'm talking who you are as a person forever and ever always. Uh, my daughter four days ago just turned six, my oldest. Yeah. She talks about leadership. She talks about emotional intelligence because it's what we live in this house. My wife is demanding an honorary bachelor's at the very least in organizational leadership. Um, because it's not, I can't just go to work and be this person. Yeah. That won't work. People see through that bullshit. You got to live it at home too. No, I, I, I hear you. I love my kids. Every time, you know, I have three and my oldest is six. I'm going nuts here. Every time I raise my voice or I get a little bit of a temper, I go, God, that's not who I couldn't do that in the workplace. Why am I doing it here? Because everything that I want to do and who I want to be has to start with my kids. It all has to start here. So those little things that are happening are the most important things because it's those small behaviors. They say, you know, 21 days of changing behavior. It's those little things that matter. They always tell you not to take on too much. Even when we're starting a new workout regimen or um, a journaling practice, I'm a big journaler. Do just a little bit every day and then it becomes easier. That's the same thing here with leadership. You know, are you checking in with somebody? Leadership is as simple as saying, how are you doing today? I'm not talking about giving everybody raises. That's great. I love that. Let's always try to. Yeah. If you have the means to do that, absolutely do that. A lot of the times we don't have means and right now means are even skinnier than before. But how do we reach out and just say, hey, how are you doing? And there was a college I worked at and me and the supervisor just weren't clicking. Like I said, I've learned from people who did not do well. Uh, we got to a point that I just looked her in the eye and said, why do you treat me like garbage? And she said, well, one of these days you're going to learn that if you start doing the work the way I want you to, 
I will stop. I decided not to renew wow. my contract. I didn't tell anybody, uh, none of my coworkers. Up to my last day, I went and told a couple people. I'm like, hey, nobody really knows this. I'm keeping on the down low. It doesn't need to be drama, but I've decided not to renew my contract. This has just not been a good place. Two days later, my supervisor, supervisor, supervisor calls me into their office and said, hey, Chance, some people have brought to my attention what has been going on here, and they're fighting for you to have your contract back. I'm going to offer it to you. I still turned it down. Yeah, because you don't want to work for somebody who doesn't lead the way that you're not going to follow that person. (laughs) But as we're talking about, I was a part-time employee, still doing my uh, bachelor's degree. People were willing to go to bat for me. Tenured faculty were willing to go to bat for me because I went in their offices and asked how they were doing today. You know, I think it's as simple as knowing who likes what sort of chocolate. When I used to work on a campus, I'd know what security, what IT, what grounds, what kind of candy they like, and I'd have a little bit in my office. Whenever I needed IT support, I was the first one taken care of because they knew I would take care of them the same way. And I also didn't make asinine requests, you know? So it's one of those things, leadership can be as easy as, hey, how are you doing? Or, hey, do you want to go grab a bite to eat real quick? I'm going to my lunch. I see you're going to yours. Do you want to sit at the same table? Because it's all about relationships. You know, management, I think, is good. It's about keeping an organization going. It's about structure. It's about stability. Leadership is about chaos and relationships and change. They're both trying to do the same thing, make this organization the best we can possibly make it. But it's how we look at it and how we chase it down that's important. So relationships and people and, you know, it's hard. Most people don't want to say love in the workplace, but you can have love for people. Doesn't mean you touch them. Doesn't mean (laughs) you invade their personal space, but you can say, hey, I care about you. I care about you as a person, as an employee, and I appreciate you. And that's what really leadership is about. Yeah. What do you think serves or fuels that desire to serve with love? What's the what's the North Star? The North Star is a little bit rough. For a lot of years, you know, let's go to my Myers-Briggs type. Yeah. Uh, I have a really strong uh, sense for thinking. So the rules, the regulations, how are we going to do this? That is always kind of the first place I click. But I realized the second I flipped over and started looking at the people, yeah, that's when things started to get a little bit easier. So for years, I realized the better relationships I had with people, the more respect, the more engagement I had, the better results I got. And then I had my first kid. I had two little girls, now a little boy. And I realized, you know, what I have to do is make this world a better place for them. It's not about me anymore. It's about your kids, our friends' kids. It's about everybody else. I don't know what the world is going to look like in 20 years. It has been a crazy four years here in the U.S. I don't really know where we're going from here, but I know I can change my kids' outlook, what they deserve, what they feel that they can do. And so that's kind of where I have to be. I tell uh, my workshops and when I do speeches and stuff, I have a lot of hope because if I didn't, I'd be in the corner crying. And today is no different than any other day. So I look at my kids and I go, yeah, there's nothing that I can't do because it's not an option. These kids deserve the best. And that includes the world we leave them. I love what you're saying. I mean, everything that you're saying, I resonate with and is how I see the world too. Uh, I mean, a lot of people, and I'm not trying to minimize any of this, but a lot of people get so wrapped up into 
what they can't control. And to your point, like you've got kids. And so I try to make my household as great as possible to give them a loving environment. And even the people I touch in my community, I'm like, as simple as I was at Starbucks the other day grabbing a coffee and I was just running in for a quick mobile order, my mask on and everything and saw somebody coming from a distance and I just stood there holding the door open. Like simple stuff like that to me is like, it just, it shows you care. And I'm always hoping that kind of like the pay it forward comment you made about that movie. It's like, you're hoping that is there's a trickle down effect. And so every little interaction you make does matter. And so I like to think about the things I can control in leadership and my household and even myself individually. Like I wouldn't behave that way if I wasn't taking care of myself. It starts with self leadership, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. 100%. Going back, I'm reading the original essays of Robert Greenleaf and it even states in there. The first thing that you have to do is control yourself. And realistically, the only thing that we can control is our reactions or our responses to the world around us. We can't control COVID. We can't control if our kids are pissed off, if they're sleeping. We can't control if our spouse is grouchy. None of that is within our control. But leadership is making the decision of, okay, am I going to have a reaction or am I going to have a response? Now, response is a powerful thing. It's okay to say, I've taken even five seconds to look at this situation. I've decided being pissed off and yelling is the correct response that I want. Cool. Yeah. But, you know, really controlling how we want to react to that. I worked with a group at a conference and they really started talking about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. And they really started getting hard on it to the point that I was like, we're missing the point here. We're talking about leadership. So every time you say, how do I make my board? How do I make my board? How do I make the community? And I didn't realize that I needed to stop them right there and be like, every time you say that, you're not talking about leadership. It's how do I show them what this should be? How should I bring people of diverse backgrounds, people of color into my organization? How do I do that? And maybe you don't have the authority to bring somebody in for a paid position, but how do you find those volunteers? How do you reach out? That is what leadership is. What you choose to do in this world and that other people choose to follow. That's leadership. I always thought with, especially with people not in a position of power uh, or authority or the title, this health crisis right now, because everybody's remote, I think this is a hell of a time for people to get out front and be visible and speak their truths and I mean, we got social media, we've got, you can influence people through Zoom and Slack or whatever you're using nowadays, just one conversation at a time, you have more access to people than ever before. And I think it's those little micro conversations that we have are so important. And I hope people really pay attention to this conversation and, and start making changes, you know, be cognizant of how you're treating other people because it will have a trickle down effect. One last thing I wanted to ask you, you and I talked last time offline, just having a conversation and you talked about the philosophy of the two deaths. What is that? I think it's a good way to end this podcast. Oh, see, every time even anyone says it, I get goosebumps. And I've been talking about this for five years. It's one of those things that keeps me up at night and it really does help define who I choose to be, what my responses are. So the philosophy of two deaths is pretty darn simple. It's this idea that every person dies twice. The first time your consciousness leaves your body, and then the second time is the last time someone says your name. 
and I have to pause for a second because that always hits me. It's a really visceral reaction. Hits me too. <laughs> um, you know, I love my grandpa. I am surprised he's still going. The dude is a truck, and I thought he was gone years ago, and he's just keep chugging along. I love the man. When he dies, I'm going to say, I love that grouchy old bastard. And that's fine, but I don't want someone saying that about me. So I sit there and think about what happens the last time one of my kids says my name or my grandkids or, you know, what's the last time someone references one of my works in their book or their this or the that. That is a horrifying thought of what somebody could think of you for the last time. Yeah. And so I... I've lost a lot of hours of sleep thinking about how I want to be. So that the last time someone says my name or my philosophy or talks about me is with love. Like, you know what? Maybe it's chance didn't know all the answers, but God, he looked for him with love. Yeah. I would be okay with that on my tombstone. That'd be perfect. I think about that all the time too, because it's like, if I think about like how people might think of me or how I don't want them to think of me, I mean like, Oh, he worked really hard and he accomplished a lot, but like, <laughs> Like, what good is that? I want people to remember me for how I made them feel. Mm -hmm. And so I, see, I hear what you're saying. I, I cut you off, though. No, you're good. It's one of those things. I'd rather someone call me lazy with love than hardworking with, you know, <laughs> you never saw that. You could be both, though. I, I love being hardworking, but also treating people with love. There's, there's ways you could do both. 100%. But, you know... There's a lot of things we get to make decisions, especially now in the pandemic with all of us starting to work from home a little bit more. We get to make decisions about how we live our life. And I'm making my decisions to be with my family and be with my community and build that. And that philosophy of the two deaths really does kind of shine light on that. Now, last time I really thought about this and I brought this up in one of my workshops, somebody reminded me, just so you know, this is the whole theme of Coco, that Disney Pixar film. Yes, I love that movie. My kids don't love it. I don't think they understand the the message of it, really. Mine don't either, but it's bright and colorful, so they're all about it. I'm like, wow, Coco. Maybe I should start showing that in some of my workshops, because that's what it's about. Uh, yes, it is. How do we do that? And plus, it's got some of the best songs in a Disney movie in a long time. It does. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Remember Me, uh, Juanita. I love that. I love just the culture in that too. It's just, it's great. The way they embed the music and the culture and just, it's fantastic. 100%. So, you know, as we're kind of thinking about those next step, I'd ask people, how is this world going to be better because you were in it? And that doesn't mean that you have to donate a million dollars. It doesn't mean that you have to start a nonprofit and do this or that, but how are the people around you feeling more loved? Your family, your coworkers, a thank you note is one of the most powerful things we have in our arsenal. I have literally a drawer full of them next to me because I try to send out at least four or five a month. My goal is always kind of a hundred a year because that's how much people need to know they're loved. And five minutes to do that is more than worth that time. Million percent agree with you, Chance. Chance Stewart, you are incredible, man. This is uh I mean, one of the most raw conversations I've had, and I mean that in the best way possible. I, I don't have conversations like this on this podcast very often. I appreciate you just being authentic and being you. And hopefully make... I mean, I know you're going to make a difference in a lot of people listening. We've got a, a great reach here. And even if you can convince just one person to lead more with love, I, I think it's worth it. Amen to that. And that's all it has to start with. If we're looking back to pay it forward, one person at a time is all we need to do and the world can be a better place.
I really appreciate you letting me come here and hang out with you though, man. This is fantastic. And I can't wait for the next time. Yeah, same here. Where can people learn more about you? Are you on like social media or your website or anything like that? Absolutely. You can find me at chance D as in dog stewart.com. Uh, I'm really working on my LinkedIn and my Instagram, Facebook. I'm there, but it's uh, harder to find probably, you know, website, Instagram, best shots, come on over, have a chat or just, you know, say something funny. I love some good memes too. Me too. Love the memes. <laughs> Don't inform your political opinion based on memes, though, please. For the love of God. No, no. Keep all that off there. Send me a pickle, Rick, and we're all good. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Chance. All right, thank you.